This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chris Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chris Meyer. Behold, he comes quickly. Suddenly, the unveiling explodes in unfathomable and fearful glory before our terrified eyes, and it may very well be the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. Welcome to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and time and eternity are rapidly becoming congruent. It's said that time marches on, but there's certainly going to come a moment in time when time shall be no more. It's coming at the consummate merging of history and prophecy revealed in the glorious appearing of Messiah. When is that going to happen? When is Jesus going to return? Many believe that it will be on the Feast of Tabernacles, known by the Jewish people as Sukkot, which also means booth or hut. The Feast of Booths, the Feast of Huts, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot. It's the final feast of the year in the Jewish calendar, known in Scripture as the Feast of Ingathering. So it's got a lot of names, the Feast of Ingathering. And, believe it or not, the Feast of Tabernacles, or in-gathering, is the most prominent feast mentioned more often in the Bible than any other of the feasts, including Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So the feast was celebrated with great joy and is, as we speak, in Israel. It lasts for seven days. Dare we say, perhaps timing to the seventh millennium and... A thousand years of Christ's reign at the end of six days of man's work on earth. That is 6,000 years. So many things to think about as we consider today the Feast of Sukkot or Tabernacles or in gathering. Because of the joy associated with the Feast of Tabernacles, it became the most prominent of Israel's holidays. Three times during the year, all the Jewish males were required to appear before the Lord in the temple. Those were the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. These were known as the Pilgrim Feasts because of the required pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So, in the days of the temple, the Feast of Tabernacles was viewed with with great awe. It was during the Feast of Tabernacles that Solomon himself dedicated the newly built temple to the Lord. And at that ancient observance of tabernacles, the Shekinah glory of the Lord descended from heaven to light the fire on the altar and fill the Holy of Holies. Wow. Sounds like a pretty important time. So in the days of the temple, the Jewish pilgrims flocked to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. At sundown, There was a blast of the shofar from the temple. It announced the arrival of the holiday and excitement fell over the whole city as darkness fell on because there were two symbols representing the Feast of Tabernacles. One was water and the other light. One was water and the other light. Do you remember reading in the Bible? 
Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You know when he said that? On the Feast of Sukkot or Tabernacles. He also said that you should drink of the water of life freely. What water was he referring to? The water that he would give. Therefore, he represented himself to be the fulfillment. Jesus represented himself when he came the first time to be the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles, but not completely. Only in part, because as he ascended back to the Father, he said, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now you are the light of the world. Hmm. So we're the light of the world now. Professing followers of Jesus Christ to the extent that we are the light of the world, we are the light of the world because he ascended back to the Father and he said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's not in the world anymore. But he did come. He came the first time in fulfillment of biblical prophecy because as John, the disciple, said, remember what he said, He said that he came to bear witness to the light. He also said that in the tabernacle, that Jesus Christ came to tabernacle among us so that we might behold his glory full of grace and truth. So when Jesus came the first time, he came to tabernacle among the people. In other words, to live among the people to display God the Father's glory, full of grace and truth. But it wasn't the complete fulfillment of tabernacles because there's going to be a feast of ingathering where the Jewish people from all over the world that have been dispersed are in the process of being gathered back. In addition, gathered as back to the land, that is. And in addition to that, there are Gentiles who are being grafted in to the original olive tree of Israel, embracing Jesus, Yeshua, as Messiah, as is a remnant of the Jewish people. Together, they become those who are ingathered in fulfillment of biblical prophecy and in fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. But, Jesus came the first time to tackle the tabernacle among us for three and a half years. The second time when he comes, he's coming not to save his people from their sin, but to judge the world in righteousness and to display the Father's glory as never before seen on this planet. So here's the question. When is he coming? When is Jesus coming? And are you ready? Are you ready when he comes? If you read the scriptures from the Old Testament on to the New Testament, you find that the answer to that question is not always as easy as people want to believe that it is. You'll remember The words of the father through Malachi, the prophet, has said the Lord himself was suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom he delighted, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord. But who 
will abide the day of his coming, and who will be able to stand when he appears, for he's like a refiner's fire. Jesus himself gave a number of parables to indicate that not everybody who calls him Lord, Lord, is going to inherit the kingdom of God. Only those who do the will of my Father, he said. So this matter of the ingathering is not quite what a lot of people think it is. It's going to be a remnant. Jesus said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and precious few there be that find it. But many there will be that go in to the broad gate. Hmm. And that's not going to go well for them. Today on Viewpoint, we take a look Even as we look further into the Feast of Sukkot or Tabernacles, we look also at its implications. And we ask the question hovering over, when is Jesus going to return? And how would you know it? Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Believe it or not, millions of Jews are being brought back to the West Bank. The West Bank that has been talked about by the nations of the world, the Gentile nations of the world, as being given up to the Palestinians. But increasingly, that is becoming to realize that uh, that is not going to happen, and it's not going to be the best way to do things. It will jeopardize Israel's security. But at the same time, According to Yossi Dagon, the uh, head of the Samaria Regional Council, millions of Jews are going to live in Judea and Samaria in the future. He was speaking at the end of a Sukkot hike. Now, Sukkot lasts for seven days. It's a very special Holiday, seven days. The number seven, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Used to describe the perfect character of God and the completion of things. The seven churches of Asia, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, and so on. Seven. Seven days, the Feast of Trumpets. Excuse me, the Feast of uh, Sukkot or Tabernacles. In other words, the level of joy that will come at the perfecting of the gospel in the fulfillment of Christ's second coming is going to be extraordinary. It is going to be absolutely extraordinary beyond all imagination. Right now, there are half a million settlers in the West Bank, but these leaders are saying, we're going to bring millions to Judea and Samaria. Well, that's biblical Israel, friends. Judea and Samaria, biblical Israel. And the nations of the earth, the Gentiles, have been seeking to prevent Israel from occupying biblical Israel. 
claiming that, well, this is for the Palestinian people. If there were such a people, which is a creation of the Gentile and Arab world. Right now, only half a million settlers in the West Bank, and they're saying they're going to be millions. Why is that important? Does that have something to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ? Well, it does. Here's why. Because the scripture says, numerous of the prophets said, that God was going to bring back the Jewish people that had been distributed or dispersed, the diaspora, throughout the world, and he eventually was going to bring them back because he had entered into a covenant with Abraham, confirmed in Isaac, and reaffirmed in Jacob that the land was an eternal leasehold to the Jewish people and that it was for them. So even though they have been disciplined for 2,000 to 2,500 years because of their sin and rebellion, God, to keep his own word and to preserve his own name, is going to bring them back and is doing so. And now, this declaration, we're going to bring millions to Judea and Samaria. He spoke just over a week after the sovereignty movement uh, published a declaration signed by 56 politicians, including Likud, party head, and former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, to support massive housing construction in the West Bank settlements if they are elected by way of solving the country's housing crisis and bringing down real estate prices, which are beyond and through the roof. Both Dagon and Religious Zionism Party head, member of the Knesset, Smotrich, recalled history and then said, back then, no one would have believed how the area of Samaria would develop. Today, said Smotrich, many still don't believe that in the future, this whole region will be one continuous area of Jewish settlement. Even if you don't believe that the whole area here would be one big sequence of Jewish settlement, sovereign in the land of Israel. It's going to happen. Just as God said it was going to happen. And it is necessary for that to happen to prepare the way prophetically for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Who many believe actually was born not on Christmas, but on the Feast of Tabernacles. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? And not not only do many believe that he was born on the Feast of Tabernacles, but that he will return on the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, now that makes sense, doesn't it? The Lord came to tabernacle among us so that we could behold his glory full of grace and truth. It seems as if perhaps Sukkot was an amazing prophetic statement that the Jewish people were to celebrate every single year since it was declared in Leviticus chapter 23 as the final of the seven Moedim appointed times or feasts of the Lord. Now we're beginning to see some connection. We're beginning to connect the dots, both of history and prophecy, with our time. And that's pretty exciting, isn't it?
Should be. And this last week, weekend, over 2,000 Christians were to arrive in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, the 43rd annual Feast of Tabernacles celebration, coming from 70 countries, traveling to Jerusalem between October 9th and October 16th, the event which is said to be the the largest Christian gathering and largest solidarity mission to Israel this year, sponsored by the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, Yerushalayim. So, this is a big deal. The report that I have is that actually 1,700 or more showed up from all over the world, and the Bible tells us that that's what's going to happen big time, far greater than that in the end of the age. We'll see that as we move on with the program here today on Viewpoint. As we talk about Sukkot, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, excuse me, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, or the Feast of In-Gathering. In-Gathering. God is going to gather his people. And the wheat is going to be... shifted out from the tares. Jesus gave that that uh, parable, didn't he? The parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, it was the Feast of Tabernacles, about A.D. 30. It was the last day, the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The people were intently watching the priests conducting the service, and a loud voice rang out from the crowd. They saw a young Galilean in his early 30s, the one with whom many held to be a great rabbi, a prophet, or even Messiah. And he boomed out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. His words echoed through their minds in that moment of electric silence that followed. And a great debate broke out among the people. Some believed he was claiming to be the Messiah. Others debated that notion. Has not the scripture said that the Christ, the Messiah, comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem? Of course, they didn't realize he was born in Bethlehem. So there was a division among the people because of him. And so in the wake of those disturbing events, the religious leadership called an emergency security meeting. You know, the chief priests, the 24 who were head over the 24 divisions of the priesthood, the aristocratic Sadducees, the Pharisees, all those boys. Originally, they were, normally they were at great odds with one another. One believed in the resurrection, the other did not. But they came together because they had a common hatred for Jesus. They felt that he was going to take away their place and their power and their perks and their position. But when they sent the officers to arrest Jesus, The officers were so stunned by his statement, for they answered in their defense, no one ever spoke like this man.
He spoke as one who knew the Lord and not as the scribes and the Pharisees. Today on Viewpoint, we're continuing to trace the history of the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot and bring it current with what happened in Jesus' day and what's happening in our day and what is going to happen in the near future with the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. When the Messiah sets up his millennial kingdom, he's going to gather, remember in gathering, he's going to gather the remnant of Israel back to her land. Isaiah described this event as the harvesting of olives. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will thresh from the channel of the river to the brook of Egypt. And you will be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel, so it shall be in that day. The great trumpet will be blown, and they will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria, and they who are outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. And the righteous among the Gentiles also are going to be gathered to the Lord. And as Zechariah promised, or prophesied, the Gentiles will pray in Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And... Whatever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on the Feast of Tabernacles, there would be no rain. And the Gentiles that refuse to keep the Feast of Tabernacles in the Millennial Kingdom will have no rain in their lands. Would you like to know where you can find that? Zechariah chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. But the Lord will not only gather his people, but he's going to tabernacle in their midst during the coming messianic kingdom. Now, I want to urge you to seriously consider getting a copy of my book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. I'm going to share some thoughts with you from that book as we wrap up here today. But I urge you to get a copy of it so that you can read it in its entirety and allow its words to minister deeply in, uh, rooted deeply in your heart. $22, we'll put it in your hands. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Messiah unveiling the mystery of the ages. The mystery is being unveiled, friends. Even today, as we're talking about Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, we are gradually unveiling the mystery, connecting the dots. And interestingly, the sign of God's presence the Shekinah glory is going to be seen in Zion again. It's going to be like a tabernacle, providing protection and refuge for the nation, God's people, after centuries of persecution. Isaiah prophesied, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion 
and above her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering, and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge and for a shelter from the storm and the rain. Now, we indicated that there are two, shall we say, symbols of the Feast of Tabernacles that uh, were deeply impressed in the Jewish mind and heart. One was water, and the other, light. When Jesus, as Messiah, spoke of himself as the light of the world, it was as he was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, I will give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. He offers that light to men today. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We'll be right back. This is Viewpoint. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. The Lord will not only gather his people, but he will tabernacle in their midst during the coming messianic kingdom. He said, my tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So, the theme of God tabernacling among his people is replete throughout the entire Bible. From Leviticus chapter 23, actually even before Leviticus, but from Leviticus chapter 23, when the seven feasts of the Lord are ordained for Israel, on through the book of Revelation chapter 20, 21, and then 22. The theme is the same. And the primary symbol of the Feast of Tabernacles is the sukkah, or tabernacle. It's a booth, and it recalls Israel's hastily built housing in the wilderness. So, let's talk a little bit about the in-gathering again, because the, the Feast of Tabernacles is also called the Feast of In-Gathering. And the Bible often speaks of the final judgment as a harvest, doesn't he? It's the future day of ingathering when God gathers his people to himself and burns the wicked like chaff and stubble. 
So it's not surprising that the Feast of Tabernacles is tied to Israel's future as well as her past. So when the Messiah sets up his millennial kingdom, he's going to gather the remnant of Israel back to her land, just like Isaiah described that we shared earlier uh, in the last segment of the program. And the righteous among the Gentiles also are going to be gathered to the Lord because they are grafted in to the original olive tree. When Jesus comes again, he is going to come to judge the earth in righteousness. We know that both from the New Testament and from the Old Testament. The message is the same. When he came to tabernacle among on this planet the first time, he came to save people from their sin. When he comes to tabernacle the second time in the millennial kingdom, He's coming to judge the world in and for its sin. And the Bible says he's going to judge the world or the earth or the peoples with righteousness and with his truth. So you can see how important truth is. You see, it's not just a matter of how I feel. How I feel is relatively irrelevant. What really matters is whether I'm walking according to the word, the will, and the ways of the Father, as revealed in and through Jesus Christ, who said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus never represented something through his life that was contrary to the Father as revealed in the Old Testament. Never. His life, Jesus' life on the planet, when he tabernacled among us the first time, was the express image of the Father, the Scripture says. You can read about that in Hebrews chapter 1. The express image of the Father. A congruency. No difference. So people that like to say, well, I like Jesus, but I don't like his dad, that is, the Father, they don't get it. They completely do not understand the Bible. Such a a phrase is radical false teaching. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because the Father was the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus is the expression of the Father. And when he tabernacled among the peoples in Israel 2,000 years ago, He was the express image of the Father, full of grace and truth. When he comes again, he is also going to be the express image of the Father, full of grace and truth. However, the emphasis is going to be more on truth than on grace. Because grace is his enabling power through his favor to do his will. But by that time, that opportunity will be over. And so he's going to judge the world in righteousness and according to his truth. So we need to understand that the Feast of Tabernacles is not just about then. It's about now. It's about what's going to happen soon. 
Now, not only is light one of the principal themes of the Feast of Tabernacles for the Jewish people, but so is water. And there are three kinds of water sources in the land of Israel. There are these huge rock-hewn collection tanks. They're known as cisterns, and they're used to collect rainwater during the rainy months. But the cisterns are the least desirable and valuable water source in Israel because they can be contaminated or stagnant and uh, not replenished by rain for the next season. So a more valuable water source, well, they provide fresh, replenished water, but even they can dry up during a drought. Wells are good, but they can dry up during a drought. The most valued water source in Israel are brooks and rivers, which are fed by springs. Those are known in the Bible as living waters. Now, there's a reason we're saying this. It's not just for information. Because Jesus used this truth to illustrate Israel's rebellion and idolatry. He said, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and then they've hewed themselves out cisterns, and they're even broken cisterns that can hold no water. The people understood what he was saying in ways that perhaps we don't when we read that. So, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus addressed the people in the temple. He said, He who believes in me... As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That was the purest water, the most valued water, water that would never dry up. The Jewish people had to understand that imagery. So, ancient Jewish theology connected that water drawing ceremony with the Holy Spirit. It's called the house of drawing. Because they draw the Holy Spirit. The drawing of water, they call it. With joy, the scripture says, shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. So, when Jesus made reference to the water and how it was used, with the very same kind of connection, but the scripture says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. So this outpouring of the Holy Spirit was analogous, what Jesus was saying was analogous to the pouring out of the water, rivers of what living water. So if you go back to the book of Isaiah, he says, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground, and I will pour my spirit on your descendants. So you're beginning to see that this theme echoes now throughout the Bible. Then David, uh, Zechariah says, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. 
Mm. That hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. But when, when is Jesus going to come? When is the Messiah going to come again? When is the final mystery going to be unveiled? The mystery of the ages, when is it going to be unveiled? How is it going to be unveiled? And will you even recognize it? By the way, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So there's only one water that will quench the spiritual thirst of humankind. And that's the living water offered by the Lord. Hmm. Now, we want to take a look, then, at what is going to happen when Jesus comes. Chapter 30 of my book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, is called Behold, he comes quickly. The words in italics under that, suddenly the unveiling explodes in unfathomable and fearful glory before terrified eyes. Because time and eternity are rapidly becoming congruent. The prophet Joel gave a dramatic warning of this no longer mysterious expectation with words of wooing and warning for all humanity, both Jew and Gentile, to be prepared. Here's what he said. Gird yourselves and lament. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord comes, for it is near at hand. And... The Lord shall utter his voice, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Therefore, says the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. When we get back, we're going to take a look at the characteristics of the coming, the parousia, the revelation the coming, and the ultimate unveiling of Messiah. Stay tuned. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Today, as we're in the midst of the Feast of Sukkot and our tabernacles are in gathering, we're concluding with taking a look at the characteristics of the coming of Messiah, 
the reappearance of Jesus Christ at his second coming to tabernacle among the people for his millennial reign. What can we expect? What should we expect? And, of course, the question is always hovering over us, will we be ready? Will you be ready? First of all, the Bible says that every eye shall see him. So, you know, our human imagination uh, gets enshrouded in kind of a mysterious cloud of business-as-usual thinking, uh, have preconceived notions, uh, all kinds of religious and philosophical ideas and isms, uh, disbelief, unbelief, quasi-belief. And that's where humankind is and are. Whether or not you or I or we believe is irrelevant in that it's decreed by a divine creator unveiling the divinely ordained plan for destiny. It's going to result in either eternal bliss or eternal damnation, depending completely, solely upon our willingness to choose. And the consequences are going to flow inevitably from our choices, which are going to be based not on feelings, but on true and convincing faith, culminating either in joyful hope or unprecedented horror. So when the Jewish people see the Feast of Tabernacles as the most joyous of the seven feasts of the Lord, there's good reason for that. But what they don't consider is the alternative. Because their belief is they've just gone through the Feast of Atonement. They repented maybe for last year but they're on into the next year doing the same things all over again and are not living in a spirit of repentance or a spirit of holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So what then should we expect at the end of time is made clear in the unveiling of the mystery of the ages. So I think this is a clear presentation we're about to share with you of the unprecedented revelation of the Prince of Peace to a a rebellious planet, persistently rebellious planet. First of all, not only is every eye going to see see him, that may sound strange, but in this technological age and considering that uh, God is spirit and they that love him shall worship him in spirit and in truth, It has to be true and right. Every eye will see him. Number one, he will come in due season. It's a season. A season is not a day. It's not an hour, but it's a broader, but observable and definable period of time. Just as we have just moved recently into the fall season, it comes in gradually. It kind of goes back and forth a little bit and the temperatures get cooler and cooler and the leaves start turning color and falling and so on. But it comes in gradually. And the ancient prophets spoke with varying levels of specificity regarding the season of Messiah's appearance. 
but there was almost no discernment among Israel's trusted religious leaders, either as to the season or even the identifying marks. They had false expectations of a Messiah. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of their spiritual blindness that had been hidden from their eyes concerning him. He said, you knew not the time of your visitation. Wow. How about us? Is that what he would say concerning us, concerning you? You knew not the time. I knew not the time of his visitation. So here are a few things setting the identity of the season. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, the end shall come when the gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout the world as a witness, which, by the way, has virtually been accomplished now. In Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says, the mystery is going to be revealed when the fullness of the Gentiles is completed. And only then is going to, is the blindness in part that has happened to Israel going to be unveiled. Well, has the fullness of the Gentiles come in? It's arguable. When Israel became a nation in 1948, one could argue the fullness of the Gentiles uh, had come in and now Israel was restored. Or in... Uh, When, when Israel regained Jerusalem in the Six-Day War, some could argue, well, that was the end of the Gentile reign, and Israel now has control. But then again, Israel gave up control of the Temple Mount through a godless general, Moshe Dayan. But we're in that season. Galatians chapter 4 says that just as God sent forth his son Yeshua in the fullness of time, even so will the son return to his glory in the fullness of time. Are we in that moment? It requires discernment, doesn't it? In Malachi chapter 4, just as God sent forth John the Baptist to prepare the way so prophesied by Isaiah before Yeshua's first coming as Israel's Messiah, even so will God, a just God, send forth another in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for Yeshua's second coming, so that all, both Jew and Gentile, are going to be forewarned to prepare so as to escape the great and dreadful day of the Lord when he comes to judge the world with righteousness. So these things are all stated in the Bible if we have equipped ourselves with an understanding. Have you been studying to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? So every eye is going to see him. He's going to come in due season. He's going to come royally, by the way. The book of the unveiling, that is the apocalypse or revelation, declares that upon Messiah's return, he's going to come not as a servant and shepherd, like he did at first, but as a reigning king, royalty, with a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Mm. So he's not going to come as a suffering servant. He's going to come as a reigning king. 
Is that your expectation? He's going to come suddenly. The Lord himself will suddenly come to his people. Jesus said, watch, therefore, for you don't know what hour your Lord does come. Be ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man comes. He's going to come unsuspectingly. You would think that after 2,700 years of prophetic wooing and warning, that seemingly otherwise intelligent people would seriously prepare their lives, wouldn't you, for such a moment as forewarned, moment of Messiah's unveiling. But a veil has somehow blinded everybody's eyes, both Jew and Gentile. So Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it's going to be in these last days. As it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in these last days, business as usual, until suddenly the unveiling explodes before their terrified eyes when they should have been prepared. He's going to come visibly and bodily. It's not going to be a matter of virtual reality or a figment of the imagination. On the contrary, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob shall look upon me whom they have pierced, declared the Lord. They shall see him. Jesus said he would come in like manner as his disciples watched him ascend to heaven from Mount of Olives many days after his resurrection. And not only that, His feet are going to stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is going to cleave in the midst thereof, forming a great valley. Hmm. He's going to come dramatically. Remember what happened at Mount Sinai. And Paul writes of that, For the Lord himself should descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump divine shofar of God. The book of Revelation says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and his name is called the Word of God, and he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the logical question then is, what then should we do? That was the question posed by the Jewish seekers who came to hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist, remember, at the first coming of Christ, the first tabernacling of Christ. But the prophet Isaiah had foretold of that Elijah was to come. But then again, the scripture tells us of another Elijah that is to come. Malachi says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he would send forth the spirit of Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Wow. All these things have happened and are are happening as we speak. So that then the, the question still remains, what should we do? Well, the message has always been the same. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John the Baptist told the people. That's what Peter, on the day of Pentecost, told the people. And this call to repentance was attitude and behavior specific. It required a change of mind and heart, 
The ways had to change. Then we have to put our full trust and confidence in Jesus. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Question, do you? Do you put your complete trust in him? Don't answer too quickly. It's easy to say something like that. It's another thing to live it out. When Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom the first time, his message was not informational. It was transformational. And the message today also has to be transformational. Repent and believe the gospel, cried Yeshua and his disciples. That was the message then. It's the message now. And time is fleeting. Right? The moment of truth is lying straight ahead in the valley of decision. The trumpet's going to sound. Time will be no more. Messiah will come, who once came to save us from their sin is going to come again to judge us in and for our sin. So the apocalypse, that is the book of the unveiling or the book of Revelation, brings us, you might say, to the ultimate point of the divine plea for this moment on the near edge of Messiah's second coming. The word repent occurs seven times from Revelation 1 to Revelation 22 amid the unveiling. Are you ready for the third day, by the way? Oh, you don't know about the third day? Oh, my goodness, you have no idea what you're missing. It's an entire chapter in my book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. I hope you'll get a copy. I think it'll open your eyes and heart and help you to prepare for the tabernacling of the Lord to come, his second coming. Thanks for joining us. $22 will put the book Messiah in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Many are calling, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Again, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And since we're preparing the way of the Lord, you might want to join with us as a partner. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 